0: Well, again, welcome uh, to Genesis. Hopefully, you won't be too distracted by my wicked, cool Valentine's anniversary shirt, but if you find yourself staring at it, that's okay. Um, Welcome to Genesis. My name's Michael. I am uh, excited that you are here. And uh, we have been, for the last um, many, many months, uh, walking our way through uh, a message that Jesus actually preached. uh, about 2,000 years ago. Uh, We call it the Sermon on the Mount, uh, primarily because that's the location of where he was uh, preaching, Uh, and the beauty of what Jesus is uh, preaching in this message uh, is he's preaching a message of how we can live life and ultimately live life the way God's designed it to be lived, created it to be lived. And um, uh, when we launched into this series back in the fall, um, it was launched under the idea that there's... A lot of us who are confused uh, as to how to live life, and and Jesus makes very clear, uh, especially in his teaching, specifically here in the Sermon on the Mount, of how we can live the life uh, he's created us to live. Uh, Today, um, uh, I'm looking at just four verses, and um, what's behind uh, at least the message for today, and specifically these four verses, is motivation, motivation. And uh, I, re- I want you to think about the question of uh, why do you do what you do? Uh, and I'm thinking specifically of uh, the good things, or at least the things that we think are good things. Uh, why, why do you do that? I realize that motives um, are not probably that big of a deal to us. Uh, we just really think more about doing things and our actions and reactions, but uh, to Jesus, to God... Our motives behind what we do is actually a really big deal. And so I just want you to think for a second of, think of your motivation this last week specifically of why did you do certain things uh, that you did? Um, Just to make you, I guess, clear uh, that motives are a really big deal to God, just two verses that speak to this. This is Proverbs chapter 16, and it specifically says this. Proverbs 16, all a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So we might look at what we do and see it as innocent, but God looks beyond what we do and looks beyond our actions and reactions and um, what we do, good or bad, and he sees the motives behind what we do, and he weighs that. First Chronicles twenty-eight uh, chapter or chapter twenty-eight verse nine. Uh, this is of Solomon, who was King David's son, and this is what God says: "And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind." This is David speaking to his son Solomon, giving him um, a warning, giving him um, uh, in- instructing him on how he should live. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. That middle part of the verse, for the Lord searches every heart and he understands. I love that picture that God can look into the depths of your heart and he is not confused. I would venture to say many of us when we look into the depths of our heart, it is absolutely confusing. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I do the things that I do? And we are confused sometimes by our actions or reactions to people and just what we do. And God, who is very concerned about our motives or our motivation for doing certain things, God looks into the depths of your heart, the deepest part of your soul, who you are, and he is not confused. He understands clearly why we do uh, the things that we do. So think for a minute is, uh, think quickly for a minute, what's the last good thing you did? Okay, it may have just been today. You may have just said hello to someone. Uh, Think of the last good thing that you did. If it wasn't today, I understand it's only, we're only about 11 hours into this day. Uh, So give yourself some time. So maybe think over the weekend, What's the last good thing you did? If you have something in mind, why did you do it? What motivated you to do that good thing? I'm wearing a shirt on my anniversary that says I love Kyla. I have to examine my motives. Did I wear this shirt to get a laugh? Did I wear this shirt to portray the appearance to you That I really love my wife and I'm willing to put letters on a shirt that says I love Kyla. What was the motivation behind even doing something as simple as this? On Facebook this morning, I put something along the lines of happy anniversary, Kyla. Um, We've got 13 years to go to silver and about 38 years to go uh, for gold. Uh, Thanks for loving Jesus and thanks for loving me and thanks for loving our kids. Why did I do that? I could have just walked upstairs and be like, Kyla, happy anniversary. (laughs) 13 years till silver, 38 till gold. Thanks for loving Jesus. Thanks for loving me. Why did I feel the, the need to publicly put on Facebook? Did I want to have the appearance that I'm some awesome husband who will wear a shirt, put on Facebook, put my emotions out there? Why did I do that? I know we don't, internalize this much, but God does. So I really want you to wrestle with this, is why do you do what you do? We all have a motive behind every action. Every word that comes out of our mouth, there's a reason that we're saying that. And even the good things that we uh, are doing, there's a reason that we are doing those things. Jesus, um, we looked at this last week, but Matthew 5, 48, says be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect that was jesus's way of saying be like me be christ like in how you live and how you speak and how you interact with people and how you serve people be like jesus in everything in every way at all times and the reality is the danger in seeking to be like jesus is that our faith can actually become a performance-driven faith. This idea that I do want to be like Christ, and we begin the road or the journey to thinking, I will perform, I will do good things, I'll be spiritual, my piety will be untouched by no one, I'll read my Bible, I'll pray, I'll give, I'll go to church, I'll go to Haiti, I'll I'll do all of these things. But our motivation behind that could be as twisted as somehow I want God to be impressed by how I'm living. I mean, how many of us have done things? I I certainly have a lot where I, I did something good, and I'm like, surely God was impressed with that. Surely God looked down from heaven like, wow, that Davis, what an amazing character. And if it wasn't trying to please, impress, get the applause of heaven, as it were, How much of what we do is for the applause of people around us? Surely, if I tell people about my devotional life and how much money I give or where I'm serving, how hard I'm working, or all of these things, our hope, again, we don't verbalize it like this, but in the back of our minds, in the depths of our heart, is they will be impressed. They will look at me and be like, You are the most spiritually impressive person I've ever met in my life. They should make action figures after you. Again, we don't say it like that. But the danger in really wanting to grow, to be like Christ in all things at all times, is that we think that we start performing to be like that. And we have a performance-driven faith, not a grace-driven faith. So this morning, um, I really... Want to hit hard as best as I can because Jesus really addresses this issue of our motives behind what we do. Um, so let me pray, and then uh, we're going to look at uh, four verses uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. So, Father God, you you say you search hearts, and you are not confused by what you see. And so I say thank you for that, uh, God, because there have been many times, and I'm sure many would agree, we are utterly confused by what we do. But God, you are not. So I pray that you would search our hearts this morning. And God, you would reveal to us the true condition of our heart. And God, if there is things that we just need to confess and say sorry for, uh, that our motivation was just self-driven and self-focused, God, I pray you would reveal that to us. God, I'm thankful that you know every single heart and are not confused by it. God, I know that there are probably hearts here today that are trying to figure out who you are. God, would you reveal yourself to every person that is in this place, in this space today? And God, I do pray that we would have the courage, uh, that you would give us the grace to respond to what you show us today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew 6, verse 1 says, Be careful. Not to do your acts of righteousness uh, before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now in Jewish culture, there was three specific acts of righteousness. One was called almsgiving, which means giving to the poor or giving to the needy. Uh, first century poverty uh, was widespread. And it was a given, it was assumed, it was an expectation that people would give and care for and take care of the poor. Next week, we're going to look at uh, prayer was the second act of righteousness in Jewish culture. So you had giving to the needy, almsgiving is what it's called. You had prayer and you had fasting. If you did these three acts of righteousness, you were considered a pious person or a godly person or a righteous person. We're looking today specifically at giving and generosity. Next week, we're going to look at prayer and uh, fasting. But poverty, as I said, it was expected. Actually, in the Old Testament, this is what Moses says in Deuteronomy. There will always be poor people in the land. Is that not true? That's what Jesus said, and the reality is it's still true today. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you. Not, I suggest, or not, this is a good idea, or I hope you think, you know, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. What a great picture of a generous person is a person who's utterly open-handed, like everything I have is just open, willing to give to anyone and everyone who happens to be in need. My hands are not closed. Some of us have like one hand open, but one hand closed. This is like my good stuff. This is the stuff I I will not let go of because it's a need. And this is the stuff I can, you know, I haven't touched in a couple years. So if someone else wants it, it's okay. The command in the Bible towards the poor and needy was to be open-handed, that we would give to those who were poor and in need. Now, Jesus says the expectations or righteous acts, um, acts of righteousness, one would be that we would give to the poor. But Jesus gives a warning. He says, be careful, okay? He's giving a warning, and he says, be careful. Don't do what you're doing so you'll be noticed. If you're going to give, if you're going to be generous, Jesus warns you. He gives an admonition. Be careful not to give in such a way where you'll be noticed and be careful not to give so what you're doing, will, you'll draw attention to yourself. Okay, this is Jesus is checking our motives. Don't do it to be noticed. Don't do it to be applauded by other people. Don't do it to be where people might be impressed with what you're doing. It's kind of the, the approach of we do something really good and we look around. Anyone see that? Like, did, did, you know, if you, a good example would be if you walk by the streets uh, in Boston, and not that there's not homeless people here, but specifically if you're walking down um, in, the, in the common and you see a homeless person and obviously they're begging, they're in need. How many of us have given sometimes and we look around to see, did anyone see that I just gave? Or we walk by and don't give and we do the same thing. Did anyone see that I completely ignored this human? Who is asking for something? Jesus says, Be careful. Do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Who is this guy, this individual that Jesus is talking about that does acts of righteousness in a way to be seen, in a way to be noticed? Who is this individual? I wrote down words like, He's insecure. I wrote down, he's prideful. I wrote down that he's self-centered. I wrote down that he's self-absorbed. I wrote down that he's empty. He's doing good things in hopes to find some security or to have someone stroke his pride and say, wow, you're an amazing human being. Or to fill that emptiness that he feels inside. He's seeking a reward. And what's interesting is he or she who is looking for a reward What's the reward? To be praised, to be noticed, to be applauded, to be appreciated, to hear those words. Wow, you're so generous, you're so kind. That's the reward that we're seeking. How strong is it within you? I asked you before, why do you do the good that you do, trying to understand your motivation? So how strong is that desire in you to be noticed by other people? to be appreciated by other people, to be applauded by other people, for people to recognize what you've done and for you to hear them say those words, wow, I wish I could be as spiritual as you or you, you look like Jesus. I mean, how important is that in who you are to hear that affirmation? For some of us, it's really intense. It's really strong. And if we're honest with ourselves and strip back through some of the layers, a lot of the good that we seek to do is we're looking for the applause, or at least the approval, of men. Now, you might say, what's the big deal? Good is still being done. Who cares why it's being done? The needy person still got some money, or that person, that need was met, so who cares why I'm doing it? Well, it might not matter to you and it might not matter to me, but it matters to God. And I'm not living, and I hope and I would encourage you not to live for the approval, applause of what people say or don't say about you, but to live for what God has to say uh, about what you're doing. Now, I'm going to just cover this or mention this quickly, but. Jesus does something pretty amazing. Uh, This is the fourth time he's done it in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And it's the fourth time in actually his gospel that he's actually mentioned this. I don't know if you caught this, but towards the end he says uh, to be if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus just referred to God as Father. This is the fourth time in the gospel, and this will happen 12 more times in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is trying to instruct the people who are listening and ultimately instruct us as well, your Father in heaven, God as your Father. I just want you to plant, plant that seed now. Uh, many of us have wrong ideas about God, and Jesus tries to correct that. And the idea, the picture that God, Jesus wants us to have of God is God as our Father. What's interesting, if I really got God as my father, I, would not, I wouldn't need anyone else's approval because I would know what my father, how he has already approved me, not because of some righteous things I've done, but because of Jesus, I'm his son. Or if you're a woman, because of Jesus, you're his daughter. If I really understood God as my father, I would not go looking for the approval from other people because I would know how approved I am in Christ in God's eyes. Jesus um, issues this warning, be careful. Now he's going to give an example. This is to the guy who doesn't pay attention. Be careful not to do this. And then he paints, this is what this actually looks like. Chapter 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Just want you to catch, this is not a question of if we should help the needy or give to the needy, but when. Or just the assumption, the expectation from God on us is that we would give to the needy. We would care for the poor because he does. Okay, The problem is not giving and being seen, the problem is giving to be seen. Does that make sense? So this is not Jesus saying, you know, don't give so you know, and be seen. So be as stealth, as sneaky as you possibly can. Don't give in order that you would be seen. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets. When you give, when you give and care for, are generous to the needy, do not announce it. Do not call a press conference. Be quiet. Be ever so quiet when you give. You ever hear the phrase, tooting your own horn? This is what this phrase finds its origins. Do not toot your own horn do not draw attention to yourself is what Jesus is saying. Um, When we lived in uh, Chicago before we moved here, we lived with, uh, uh, she was a really nice uh, older woman uh, who was wealthy beyond all get out, had more money uh, than she ever could possibly spend in a few lifetimes. And uh, we lived on her, um, it was a <clears throat> about a twenty-acre estate. Your home was about a twenty-thousand-square-foot home, and Kyle and I had the caretaker's facility. Which, um, uh, so this lady was very, very nice, very eccentric. It's very weird. the The richer you are, the weirder you get. I don't know if it's a rule, but the more money you have, just the weirder you get. And so she had kind of approached the maximum of weirdness, and she was very nice. Okay. I'm not talking poor. She was really nice. But what was really interesting uh, is with all of the money that this individual had, she would not give a dime unless her name would be attached to it. Unless the building would have her last name attached to it, she would not give. Or unless there would be a plaque somewhere displayed for all to see that This contribution of a million dollars by this individual, she just would not give unless there would be some recognition or the applause or praise of people. I don't know if you've ever thought, but it's interesting that some of the most people that we think are the most humanitarian or the most philanthropic are the most hungry for human glory, are the most hungry for the praise of men. You wonder if there was never any press conference to announce how much they gave, would they still give? If their name would never be attached to a building or a structure or plaques or stuff, I mean, would they still give? Now, it's easy for me to look at people like that and accuse them like, well, they only give for the praise and to get the plaque or to get their name mentioned or get their name in the news, but what about me? If no one ever noticed, would I still give? I mean, no one ever knew, would I still give? Would I still be generous? Would you? If no one ever knew what your giving records were, and there was a guarantee that no one would ever know that, would you ever give? How you answer that question reveals your motivation. Much of our motivation in being generous in giving is that we would be recognized. Motives matter to God. I realize it might not matter as strongly to us, but I want you to hear this again and again today. Your motivation, why you do what you do, is a really big deal to God. Now, we're introduced to this term for the first time in the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus mentioned the H word, hypocrite. You see it? Verse two, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. This is the first time that Jesus busts out the hypocrite word. I don't know if you know what a hypocrite is, but our culture thinks if you're sitting in here today, you're a hypocrite. Why? Because you came to church and everyone who goes to church, you're a hypocrite. In ancient, this is a theatrical term. A hypocrite is a play actor. So in ancient drama, play actors or hypocrites, they did not wear makeup as they do today, they wore masks. And depending on the part that they were playing, they would have a mask for that part. And as soon as that part ended, they would hold up another mask to play that part. So a hypocrite is a play actor, someone who plays a part depending upon what scene he might find himself in, depending on what audience he might find himself in. Hypocrite was the one who pretended to be one thing, but all the while, beneath the mask, they were something else. Now, as I already mentioned, our culture thinks the church, uh, and I'm not just speaking of Genesis, just church universal, were a bunch of hypocrites. Now, they probably don't know what they're saying when they are calling us hypocrites, but they're saying, you're play actors. You say one thing in here, but you live a completely different Lifestyle. One way in here, one way out there. Our words don't match up. Are they wrong? I'm actually okay to say they're probably not that wrong. If I'm just looking at me, I have been a hypocrite a lot. Said one thing, did another thing. I did one thing, but my motives behind that was purely self-centered, self-focused, self-absorbed so that people would be like, wow. That was impressive, that was gracious, that was kind, that was generous. So before anyone gets offended, like, how dare they call me a hypocrite, just look in the mirror and just say, is that true of me? Am I that individual that Jesus is talking about? It's interesting that the only time that Jesus calls people a hypocrite, guess who it's reserved for? Not like the notorious sinners, not like the prostitutes and the tax collectors, He calls the religious people, specifically the pastors, specifically the Pharisees, the teachers, the guys who studied scripture. He called them hypocrites. Matthew 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Pharisees, you are play Actors, your outward actions suggest you're really spiritual. Your outward actions suggest, wow, you're really generous. But God, who is not confused by our heart, by our motives, you're full of greed. You're so full of greed and self indulgence. You play a part so people will think you're spiritual. People will look at you and be impressed and be like, wow, God must love you because look at you. You're so incredible. But God looks at him. Jesus looks at that individual and says, You're a hypocrite. I see your stuff, but I see beneath it greed and indulgence. I've already asked this question, but it's worth asking twice. How many of us fall prey to play acting? Our faith is theatrical, it's not genuine. We have a very theatrical faith. You come to a, uh, like a, a prayer gathering, like we're gonna have one this Friday actually, eight o'clock, encourage you to come. But we come to something like a, a prayer time and a time of worship. We can pray with the best of them. We can sing with the best of them, but then we'll leave this place and the words that come out of our mouth, it's like, really, you were just praying to God and you talk to your wife like that? You talk to your husband like that? You treat that person like that? You come to a life group and have the appearance of being spiritual and hungry to learn and grow and be like Jesus, but then as soon as you leave that place, the stuff that you listen to or see or pour in your mind and heart is so inconsistent. I realize this is hard, but I have been a hypocrite a better part, if not most of my life, because most of my life I've been more concerned about people being impressed with me than what God has to say about me. It wasn't probably until by the age of 22, 23, so just two years ago. I just gave a message a few weeks ago. You're not supposed to lie, so I apologize. Please forgive me. I'm not 25, I'm 27. Um, Or 37. Point being, thank you. My life was spent performing. It wasn't really until my early 20s where I felt like God set me free from stop performing, stop play acting, stop trying to impress people, and stop trying to impress me. You're not impressive. Just let me love you as you are. Let me work in you. Stop trying to work to earn or get something from people or from others play-acting. Jesus says, if you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. If you do, you're just a hypocrite. You don't really care about the needy, you care about yourself. And you're using the needy to get something from them for you. It's play-acting. Jesus says, if we do righteous acts so that others will be impressed by us, we will get a reward for that. And reward in What Jesus means reward is we'll get a wage or we'll get a prize. And guess what your prize is? But it gets really quiet after a while. Your wage, your reward, is that people might be impressed by what you've done, but that's your reward. That's it. As I was thinking about this, uh, the applause, uh, there is no reward beyond the applause of men. And the problem with the applause of men is that it fades really quick. It sounds really loud at first, but it just fades, and it gets really, really quiet. And you start, why is no one clapping anymore? Why is no one looking my way? If you go for the applause, the reward from men, what they applauded for once, they might applaud twice, but I promise you they will not applaud three times. And so you have to keep doing different things to get people to notice you, to appreciate you, to applaud you. And if you go for the reward of the applause, ultimately it does not accomplish what you're ultimately seeking for. It disappoints. It does not fill. I've already said this, but it certainly, it really is, I was thinking about it this week, it just saddens me of how much of my life was wasted going for the reward of man like really wanting to hear the applause of people around me. Oh Michael, you're so impressive. Oh, I know. Tell me more. It was such a waste. Because inside I knew I was not impressive. Inside I knew I was filled with lust and greed and just all sorts of sin. And I lived in fear if people really knew why I did what I'm doing, they would be in they would be horrified. And so I perform even harder so no one will know. I'm belaboring this point because I think some of you might be there. And I want to invite you. Jesus wants you to, invites you, put down the mask. Do not play act anymore. Do not perform anymore for people or for him. Why? Because you're not that impressive. I'm not saying that to be cruel. I'm saying that to be honest. None of us are that impressive. None of us are that generous. If you compare yourself to me, you'd be like, well, I'm at least more generous than him. But you're comparing yourself to a a wretched sinner. Well done. Why don't you look at Jesus and be like, you know, I'm really, if I'm supposed to be like Christ, I'm not that impressive. Your righteous acts. Do you give in order to appear generous? Do you serve in order to hear the applause? Or do you do good things, righteous things, specifically giving, being generous, in order that God might somehow be impressed? If you do, I love how Scripture can raise questions like this and then answer them. So how do I do the good I desire to do, but not for the applause or the approval of the crowds? I love this, Matthew 6, just the last two verses. But when you give to the needy, remember, not if, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done, again, father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Give in such a way where no one knows, including yourself. Okay, for the rest of the time, probably for the next 10 minutes, I don't want anyone to think about pink elephants. Okay? Out of your head... For at least the next 10 minutes, do not think about pink elephants. If you think about pink elephants and you're found out, you're kicked out, okay? No thinking about pink elephants. Now, I don't even have to check with you 10 minutes from now. I could ask you now, how many of us are thinking about pink elephants? Why are you thinking about it? Because someone told you not to think about it. This is weird, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But now I'm thinking about what my right hand is doing. (laughs) They're friends. (laughs) They, They hang out. Like, how does that work? Driving a car. How many of you have had a license for at least more than a few years? Okay? You've probably experienced this. Have you ever been driving a car and you get to X destination, whatever it was, and you're like, holy cow, how did I get here? Like, I, w- I don't even remember touching the brakes, touching the accelerator. I don't even remember turning the wheel. I didn't think about it. I just got here. I've been driving for so long, I know what to do without even thinking about it. This is the best example that I could think of of what Jesus is talking about. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, because your right hand is giving, it's being generous, it's loving, it's serving. With the car, I don't think about it. I am so, I live about a mile and a half from here. I am so programmed, I don't think I could do it blind, but I, I'd be willing to try. <laughs> I just, I don't even think about it. Why? It's automatic. And I don't mean my car's automatic. How I drive, I, don't, I just don't think about it. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you just giving was your natural response? It's just what you do. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to wonder if I should do it. I don't even have to look around to see if anyone's paying attention. It is so automatic. This is just what I do. I just give. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. And before you know it, you gave. And the funny thing is, you forgot about what you gave. I can't explain sometimes how I get to certain places because I don't remember turning, but obviously I did. I love Jesus gives this example. He's talking about the kingdom, and, and God is, is uh, uh, rewarding people, as it were. And in Matthew 25, verse 34 through 40, this is a lot of verses, but it paints this picture of how we can have left-hand blindness, how we can be very sacrificial in how we give and how we can be very forgetful in how we give. This is uh, uh, Matthew uh, 25, verse 34 uh, through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. and invite you in, or needing clothes, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison, and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Can you imagine standing before God and Jesus saying, you did these things, and you're like, I don't even remember. When did I ever do those things? It was so natural. It was so automatic. I don't remember giving. I don't remember clothing. I don't remember feeding. I don't remember visiting. Why? Because you were so forgetful. It wasn't about you. I would long to live. I'm not there yet. But to have left-hand blindness. It's just so automatic. I give. Where God would say to me, Michael, this and this and this, and be like, Jesus, honestly, I do not remember ever doing those things. And Jesus smiled, well, you did it for me. What a great picture that Jesus paints. The beauty of left-handed blindness is that when you give, people would be blind, you would be blind, but there's one person who's not. And I love the promise at the end of verse four, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Many of us live thinking God is actually blind. Because if God could see me, he'd do something. If God could see me, he would step in. If God could see me, he'd provide. God clearly must be blind. I just want you to know God's vision is perfect. He can see. He is watching. Our call, the command, is that we would do left-handed blindness. Not doing things so people would see. Not doing things that I would see. Knowing that even though the world would be blind to what you do, and even though you're blind and forgetful to what you do, God's not. Why? Because he's watching. I love Jesus affirms two amazing truths about God. Remember, God is Father. I realize that some of you have had horrific dads. Just so you know, he's not like your dad. The dad who ignored you, neglected you, never spoke a kind word to in your life, never showed up for you, that's not God. It's a, a sharp reminder to me that I have three little kids who are watching me, and I am modeling for them what God is like. And I will stand before God one day and have to give an account for how I love my wife, for how I love my kids. Michael, did you model Christ-likeness, godliness to your kids? I do not want my kids growing up having a jacked-up view of who God is. Clearly, God doesn't care. Clearly, God is harsh. Clearly, God is indifferent. God is not like your father. But Jesus allows this image that God is a father who is gracious, who is compassionate, who is faithful, who is righteous, who is merciful. Not a God to be appeased, a God to be loved. Second, he paints a second picture of that God sees. There is nothing that you could ever do that God would never notice. Now this should actually strike two things into us. It should put a healthy fear into us. My goodness, if God sees everything I do and not only what I do, but why I do it, that should cause me to pause. If God can see not only actions, but motivations, it should put a healthy fear in me to check my motivations at the door and ask God, Purify my motivations, purify my desires. And secondly, it should encourage us greatly a healthy fear, but it should also encourage us greatly that even though the world's applause shifts on a dime, God has a reward for you. And namely, if you're wondering, well, what is this reward that God has for me? It's God, it's Himself. It's his presence. It's your experience of God. More of him, more of his voice, more of his provision, more of his faithfulness. The reward that God has for us is him. I wanted to finish with uh, some very quick points. And the quick points is four verses that just speak to being generous, not so people will see, but because God's called us to be generous people, not to be done in front of man and get approval and applause and, and credit. And so I just wanted to finish with the, this challenge, I guess, of if you're a follower of Jesus, how can I be generous? Because I know the opposite of generosity is greed. And I know what it's like, actually, to be a greedy person. And I've been around greedy people. There's just no joy in greed, because you're always grabbing and always clutching. I just, I don't want to be a greedy person. I do, I want to be generous. And so here are four things of how do I do generosity and do it well. Number one, generosity is rooted in God. Meaning the only reason I know how to be generous is because God's been generous to me. I would not have a clue how to be giving unless God modeled what it means to give. I would not know what it means to be generous, but I do because God's been generous. A verse you've heard hundreds of times, John 3.16. God so loved the world, he just gave his one son. He didn't have 10, he had one. He gave one son so that if you would believe in him, you would have life everlasting. Sins would be forgiven. Your eternity would not be separated from God in hell. It would be with him forever in heaven. I love John 3, 16. God loves, and in his love, he gave. He was generous. Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is gracious, God is generous. Philippians, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Generosity is rooted in God. If you're having a hard time being generous, it's probably because you might not know God. And if you do know God, then maybe you've taken your eyes off of God and put them somewhere else. If you want to be a generous person, look at Jesus. Look at God the Father. Number two, generosity flows best from a grateful heart. Gratefulness, a grateful person, is not focused on myself. I'm focused on who I'm grateful for. If I'm going to be generous, it flows from a heart that is just so grateful for what God's done for me. And I don't give to somehow repay God back. I give because I'm so thankful for what God has done. I'm not looking at me, I'm looking at God. If you're having a hard time with gratitude, again, fix your gaze, fix your eyes, fix your heart on God. Like, wow, you've done that for me. You've loved, you've forgiven. You've prepared a place for me in in heaven. Generosity rooted in God. Generosity flows best from a grateful heart. Number three, generosity is a great witness to the generosity of God. That make sense? Your generosity is an incredible witness. Why do you give like you do? Because God is just so ridiculously generous to me. Now, if you're thinking you're supposed to give in secret, you're supposed to give in a way not to draw attention or to be seen by men. If you remember Matthew 5, 16, we covered this a few months back. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So when you do good, people are like, tell me about your God. Don't tell me about you. Tell me about your God. Number four, generosity is a result of the righteousness of Jesus at work in us. Acts of righteousness. I don't want anyone to be confused that my acts of righteousness could somehow merit God being impressed, loving me at all. It's the reverse. When I meet Jesus, when I accept, invite Jesus to come in my life, his righteousness begins to express itself through me. Not the other way around. Outside of Jesus, I could not do a righteous thing. And even if I could, the Bible says it's like a filthy rag. Generosity is a result of the righteousness of Jesus at work in us. I don't give in order to earn, but I give as an expression of Jesus at work. And then the last one, and don't hear this as like a health, wealth, gospel. I just want you to know a generous person is a blessed person. Jesus said that, not me. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul quotes Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I experience blessing from God when I live like this. Why? Because I realize everything in my hand belongs to God. It's from God. It's for God. And if he wants me to give it to someone else, it's his to give. There is no blessing when I live, like, live life like this. But like this, I experienced just the blessing of God. And I'm not talking about ridiculous, like if you give, you'll win the lottery. That's just stupid. But Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. I dare you to prove Jesus wrong. Try it. Try being a generous person. Try writing some big checks. Try giving to the needy. And see what God might do. And I'm not talking about all your problems will be fixed. But you would experience the blessing of God, the reward of God himself in your life. Those are four great verses in the gospel uh, here in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not sure how God has specifically been speaking to you, but I want you to respond. I know I I spent a lot of time talking about the play acting. If that's you, take your mask off. Get real with God. Stop theatrical faith. Make the decision to journey to a genuine faith. If you live like this, ask God to open wide your hands that you would give, that you would be generous. And I do realize there, there might be some here, if not many, who've never experienced the generosity of God the generosity of God is seen most clearly in what's behind me. And God, when he saw the sinfulness of humanity and our sins separated us from God, God came to redeem and rescue and restore us to a right relationship with him. He sent his son. If you're ever confused as to whether or not God loves you, look at Jesus. If you're confused to whether you think God is generous Look to the cross. Father God, I pray that we as a community would just do generosity well because you have been so generous to us. God, if there is anyone that is here today that has never experienced your generosity, God, I pray that their hearts would be wide open today to receive Jesus. And if that's you, just make the simple confession, simple yet profound, that Jesus is God. Confess that you've sinned, rebelled against him, and ask Jesus to come in and fill you. God, if there's anyone here who for, like me, the better part of my life, play acted, had so many different masks. Jesus, just break through that. I pray there would be great courage to repent from wearing masks, acting one way, but living another way. And God, if there is folks here, and this might be a lot of us, God, I pray that what our hands are so clutched tight to, we would just open wide our hands. Jesus, I thank you that you modeled generosity for us. Jesus, I thank you that you gave. And you ultimately, Jesus, you gave your life. And for that we say thank you. As we continue in worship. I would uh, encourage you as you guys are are ready to receive communion. uh, Communion is a time for Christians to come and celebrate and say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for going to the cross, shedding your blood so that I could be forgiven. So if you're a Christian you've made that decision to walk with Jesus as he is your God, you are not God, he is, then come take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice or wine. And say, Jesus, thank you for doing for me what I could not do for myself. And please know if you're not a Christian, you've not made that decision to ask Jesus to come into your life, to be Savior, to be God of your life, make that now. It is as simple yet profound as just saying, Jesus, I do not want to be the God of my life any longer. I trust you, that you make me right with God. So as you guys feel led, uh, let's worship and come celebrate communion together.